my name is Jake. I'm one of the staff members here at Integrity. For those of you who do not know me, I've, uh, I've been on staff since March 09. I love this church. I'm married to a beautiful woman named Mitzi. She's about the best thing about me. Uh, this is our third and final week of our Gift of Faith series for the past two weeks. If you haven't been with us, Ben, Pastor Ben, he's been going through Hebrews chapter 11, uh, through the famous Hall of Faith chapter, and through that we've gone over example after example of, uh, of examples of God's faithfulness. These are men and women of the Old Testament who have lived lives and who have endured suffering and have proven God to be faithful. And so this Sunday, this morning, this is our third and final week, we'll be finishing out in Hebrews chapter 12, so I'm really excited uh, to be in this. Hebrews has been a, an exciting book to study. It's been a very mature and sober book. Uh, uh, in preparing for this message, I've been both humbled and encouraged. I've been humbled in that we're dealing with a group of believers that the writer has written to that is enduring a lot of hard sufferings, a, a level of suffering that we in the 21st century here uh, have a hard time relating to, and it's hard to bridge that gap. They've, they've undergone uh, imprisonment. That's something we have not experienced for our faith. They've had their property destroyed because of their faith. Uh, there are people that have been uh, severely mistreated by their culture on a level that we just, it's hard to comprehend. Um, they're not being killed at this point, but we know that their situation is really Bad. So when we compare our situation to them, the honest uh, truth is that they have it a lot worse than we do. Uh, we think that it gets bad when uh, Christian chicken or Chick-fil-A gets attacked for their views on homosexuality or, or when someone puts up a controversial Facebook post or something like that, we think we're getting uh, persecuted. Or, or when people don't respond to us with the words Merry Christmas, when we tell them Merry Christmas, they might respond, oh, Happy Holidays to you. And we're like, whoa, whoa, don't persecute me, man. I'm a believer. So that's, we think we have it bad when that goes on. They, they were having their property plundered. Things were, things were bad. So this, hook is, this book has humbled me in that sense when I, when I look at what they're going through. And I don't think that we need to feel guilty that they're going through a lot worse and that we're not. I, I think that the proper response for us in the situation that we are in is to feel grateful that we are experiencing uh, when you stack all of history together, we're experiencing an unprecedented level of freedom, a religious freedom to love and serve God and worship freely. It's unprecedented when you take all of history into account. But I'm also encouraged by what Hebrews has been teaching because even though it's not that bad for us, we as believers and as individuals, we still have pains and struggles. We still experience pain do we not? We still experience death. Family members are diagnosed with cancer. Car accidents happen where our friends might die. Um, conflict in relationships happen. Difficulties and struggles happen to us. And for those of you who have experienced suffering and darkness, I think that this is a book for you. This is a text for you this morning. For many of you, also things are going well. You're not experiencing a lot of hard struggles right now. You're not experiencing a lot of pain or conflict. I believe that this text is also for you because we will all suffer. And this book teaches us many things. One being how to faithfully persevere in the faith and how to suffer well for the honor and glory of Christ. So my hope for you this morning uh, as we dive into Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is that you would 
learn, that you'd grow in your ability to endure life's pain and difficulties, looking to and being filled with the sustaining power and example of Christ. That's my hope for you this morning. And I really can't think of a greater text to end the year out on. I I acknowledge that talking about suffering and pain and bad things happening in the life of the believer is controversial. Many people, and maybe some of you in this room perhaps, refuse and reject that God could place suffering in the life of the believer. Uh, Some believe that suffering has no place in the life of the believer. Take the prosperity gospel uh, teachings that we get from men like Joe Austin and T.D. Jakes. These men teach doctrines that run away from suffering, run away from any pain of life. It has no life place in the life of the believer. There are others who believe that God is so good that he just couldn't make suffering happen in the life of the believer. They believe that uh, all the bad things that happen to us, surely God is so good that he would, not, he would never cause that. If that's you this morning, if, if, either, if you're on one of these sides of the aisles, if you're prosperity, God would never cause suffering, or if you're on the other aisle, that God is too good to cause suffering in the life of the believer, I ask you this morning just to suspend judgment as we walk through Scripture together because we desperately need these truths. Without understanding the doctrine of endurance, You'll never live the Christian life the way it ought to be lived. You'll never experience joy in Christ and the peace that he provides in the worst and darkest moments of your life. So this is for both of you. You need this. We need this. Many of you in here, things might be going well, but many of you in here, things might be going bad. You might be experiencing a lot of pain, a lot of tension, struggles with depression, perhaps, the good news is that this text this morning is for you. And I think that um, Ben really nailed it. Uh, I, he said that the, he, he, the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews to get them to stop being Hebrews. That's why the book was written. I, I love that uh, definition there. And, uh, and to give a little bit of background of Hebrews, the author spends the first 10 chapters describing how Christ is superior to everything. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the Mosaic law. He's superior to the Levitical priesthood. And the main message of Hebrews is this. Christ is superior to everything. Intricate details are given in this book of how Christ is our high priest in heaven who represents us before the Father and atones for our sins. Hebrews encourages us to hold on to the promises of salvation in Christ, to cling tightly to them. God is trustworthy. He fulfills his promises because he is a holy and perfect God with perfect character. So when he makes a promise to his people to save them through Christ, we can trust in that and hold and cling to that promise. His purpose leading up to our text is perseverance. It all flows into that perseverance and endurance. He wants his readers to grow in their love for Christ until the day of their death. He wants them to be in love with Christ Not only now while they're living, but on their deathbed. The theme of faithful endurance is important as we advance to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. And I think that a very crucial text to understand our text is Hebrews 10, 32 through 36. So would you turn with me there for a moment? And I believe we will also have that on the screen. It's important that we understand Hebrews 10, 32 through 36 as we move into Hebrews 11... And as we move into Hebrews 12, because he really sets it up here. He says this, 
But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you what? You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew, this is important right here, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. He's saying, don't throw away your confidence in Christ. The great reward is Jesus, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, when you've lived your life, when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What is promised? The treasures and riches of Christ in heaven. So early in their history, what we see here is that we had a church that had the ability to joyfully face suffering. But over time, their endurance weakened. They got weak in the knees, so to speak, spiritually. So he's he's telling them, you need endurance greatly. In Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, you have to understand that it is written in this light of motivating these believers to have endurance. So our text, 12, 1 and 2, we're going to actually skip over 11 because we've been through that. Our text, 12 and 1 and 2, teaches us the nuts and bolts of this. It teaches us how to do this. How do we persevere and endure in life? So now let's read our text, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It's been set up for us. We now know that we have need of endurance. So let's read this. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with what? The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Before we dive in any deeper, I think now would be an appropriate time to pray. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for delivering us this scripture that you've written through men to motivate us to love and serve you well because you're worth it, Lord. And Father, help me to be faithful to scripture and proclaim it accurately and with precision. And Father, help us all to love you more and hold on to the reward that we have in Christ. Thank you, Lord. So with our text before us now, point number one is this. You are surrounded. You are surrounded by examples of faithful suffering and endurance. He says in verse one, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Okay, so when you see therefore, you always got to pause a second. You got to say, what is therefore, therefore? Okay? He's, call, he's telling you to look back. And what is he telling us to look back on? He's telling us to look back at chapter 11. What's in chapter 11? He says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Okay? He's using figurative language here. It's not as if you look around and you're surrounded by a cloud of crazy evangelists with gospel tracts. Okay, I think that would be personally horrifying, personally. But this is, he's using a metaphor to describe the group of Old Testament saints in chapter 11. These are men 
and women as we've learned through chapter 11. These are men and women who believed in God, who took him at his word. They are examples to us of endurance in the faith. They are examples to us of faithful endurance and suffering. So these men were not perfect. The Old Testament tars this, these people in their character in a sense to elevate the goodness of God. So we're not dealing with champions in a sense. But through their lives, they point to the champion who is God our Savior in Jesus Christ. They cling to God and their lives to us are examples. Let's look back at Moses' life as an example. Let's look at, turn right back to 11, 26 to 27. This is a great summary of Moses' life in light of our text. He says here, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is visible. So their lives proves God's faithfulness. When it calls them witnesses, he's, he's saying that they prove God to be faithful. Now, our lives are described as a race in this text. So we also have some athletic imagery here. Uh, in high school, I played soccer. I was a varsity soccer keeper. If you're wondering why I still don't play soccer, all you got to do is measure my height because I was not very tall. So there were a lot of balls that went over my head. But I did the best I could. But I remember, and some of you in here, you remember playing athletic sports. You, maybe you played basketball or you played soccer, you played football. And those are moments that I'm sure that you'll always cherish. You always cherish uh, being out there on that field, playing the sport. And, and, and you, if you remember what it was like to play with hundreds of people surrounding you, cheering your team on, that's something that I always cherish because you just had the ability to jump higher. You had the ability to run faster. You had the ability to just do crazy things with the adrenaline rushing and, and people cheering you on, your f- friends and family. It was awesome stuff playing under the lights. But it's not as if he's saying here, and many believe this, that, that the hall of faith is in heaven and they're looking down on us, cheering us on as we run this race. It's, he's not saying that. There's no support for that idea about the cloud of witnesses in scripture. I can assure you that their eyes are not on us. Their eyes are on the beauty and glory of Christ. But there, the sense here is given that we are surrounded by so many proofs of his faithfulness that they, their lives, as they are recorded in Scripture, motivate us to live passionately for Him. So the application here is that we should look to them. We should, our faces should be in Scripture, and, and we should be studying their lives. And if we want to be motivated by them, because by their lives they prove that endurance is possible. We know that this life, living for the glory of Christ, is possible and finishing it until the end is possible because so many have done it and so many have gone before us and have proven it, God, to be faithful. So we are surrounded by the proof of God's faithfulness and it's motivating. It pushes us and drives us to endure. And point number two is this. Put away your sin. Put away your sin because it only kills your ability to suffer well and endure. Let's read in the next part of verse one. We read this. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we have this athletic imagery 
going, that we as believers are like athletes and our life is like a race and it's like a marathon race that we have to run and he wants us to run with endurance. He wants us to be able to finish this race because if we run this marathon with no endurance, we're not going to finish. Sin here is pictured like a weight that clings to us and that prevents us from running hard and finishing and, and running with efficiency. Now, let me share with you what I know this is not saying. This is not saying that you must be perfect, that you must lay aside every single sin in your life and be totally perfect and be totally like Christ in order to run. He's not saying that you'll never be perfect in this life. The struggle with sin and temptation is part of our lives as believers. It's what God, it's one of the struggles and the suffering that God has ordained into our life, that we struggle with it, we fight against it, we lay it aside. So he's talking here about a style of life. He's talking about continuous repentance. Your endurance in the Christian life, your perseverance is not in question if you have sin in your life. Your endurance and perseverance as a Christian does come into question when, you, when sin stops bothering you, when it stops feeling like a weight, when you stop fighting it, when you start ignoring it when, it, when it doesn't pain you that you have sin in your life, when it's no struggle. That's when sin is a weight. That's when, that's when your endurance comes into a question. So you never stop fighting sin. All of life is repentance. And in the context of this book, he does point out specific sins. I do think that he has all sin in mind. He has every sin that you can think of in mind. Every sin that scripture reveals does be sin. It's got all that in mind for sure. But I do think it's possible here, based on the context of Hebrews, that he's focusing on a couple specific sins. There are certain sins that the Hebrews were falling in that were causing them to have difficulty to endure. These, this was a weak church at the time. They were old, they were meandering, they were not maturing, they, they, they had the temptation to fall back into the law, to fall back in the Mosaic law, they wanted a, a simple system to get them near God. In chapter 2, he warns them not to drift away from the gospel. Don't drift away from the grace of God that he has provided for us in Christ. In chapter 3, he warns them not to have an evil, unbelieving, faithless heart, because if you have an evil, unbelieving, faithless heart... It's obviously an indication that you're a non-believer and surely you're not going to endure. Warns them, be believers in Christ. And in chapter 5, and what I want to focus on this morning, he warns them not to neglect Scripture. Turn over to chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. He warns them not to neglect Scripture. It will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. He says this, About this we have much to say. He was just about to get into the priestly order of Melchizedek, which that's a whole other sermon. And it is hard to explain, it sure is, since you have become dual of hearing. You've become dual of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. The Greek for child is infant. My translation is baby. You like babies. So one of the weights and sins in their life that are affecting their endurance as believers, that are affecting their ability to hold on to the grace that is in Christ was their lack of Scripture study and applying it to the life. When it came to the knowledge of Scripture, he describes them as babies. They had to be reminded again and again of the basics of the faith. 
There's nothing wrong with the basics of the faith and reminding yourself over and over again. But it's obviously as a style of life, they were not in Scripture consistently. So he's telling them, hey guys, grow up. I love you. Grow up. But the fact that you're not in Scripture consistently is surely affecting your endurance. And this is very important. (laughs) Voice just cracked. I, uh, b- back in January, I got into exercising a lot, and uh, I got into CrossFit and stuff like that. Some of you guys probably do some CrossFit stuff. I think it's crazy. Uh, but I, I got into work, working out, and I was with Brian Jacobs one morning doing some lifts, and I decided to go, like, real heavy and go extreme. That was a bad idea because I was watching way too many of those CrossFit YouTube videos. So I was doing a military press, and I was, I was doing too much weight, and he was, he was kind of spotting me. And all of a sudden, I heard this awful sound in my elbow. It's just like, pop. It was crazy. I, but I kept going through it, which was a bad idea. Okay? Now it healed, kind of. Now it, I don't know if you can hear that, but it's like a weird, you hear that. Oh, that's not good. It, it's like a weird popcorn sand corn, sandpaper uh, radiation sound. It's weird. It, it doesn't feel good. When I got out of CrossFit, I decided, I think, I don't know if this, I should do this. I think I need to be a little bit more careful. I got out of CrossFit, I decided to get into running. So I started running. I, I started getting in shape. I, I, started, I fell in love with running. Some of you in here are, love running. I love running. I still run. Um, but I started running, I fell in love with it so much, too much. I started running about four miles a day, and I would run as fast and hard as I could. That was a bad idea, because then I injured my knee, my left knee. And now it always hurts, and it still hasn't healed. So then when I hurt my knee, I decided, okay, I can't run. I can't lift weights as good as I want to. I can't even do squats in the gym now. I'm going to get into swimming because injured people swim. You know, the old women in the, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. The, the women in the, uh, in the pool, they, you know, they work out. It's obviously a gentle workout. I probably won't get hurt. So I started swimming, and then I got the idea, I'm going to train for a triathlon because I love swimming. So I started swimming like every day. I dislocated my left shoulder. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'd, I'd hurt myself swimming. Everything I read online, you can't get hurt swimming. I dislocated my left shoulder. So I'd, I'd hurt myself w- lifting weights. I'd hurt myself running. I'd hurt myself swimming. And now the women at the pool were showing me up. I couldn't do anything for a couple months. It was, I was sad. I couldn't do anything. And so what I should have done is been disciplined and study how to properly work out, take my time, uh, not overtrain, be disciplined, not be lazy in that sense, not, not do that, because because of that I had to drop out for a while. My endurance, I couldn't finish any race for sure. And we can be like that with our faith. We, we must be people of Scripture. We must study it. We must be... We must work this discipline into our lives. So the discipline of scripture study, I believe is what he's saying, is is the basis for fighting sin. It is the basis for maturing. It is the basis for endurance. It is our preparation and training. And I think there's a reason why the author of Hebrews uses doctrine to motivate believers. He is always consistently pointing pointing them back to scripture. He uses doctrine to motivate them because it's very important in the life of the believer. So work the discipline of studying Scripture and applying it to your life, into your life today. It's going to help you love Christ more. It's going to help you endure. The pains will come. Things might be going well now, 
but I can assure you the pains will come. So while things are going good for you now, you need to work this discipline into your life so that when the struggles come, you're going to be prepared to fight them. That's why it's important to have a disciplined habit of studying Scripture. So we have this image now. We have this image. We're running this race. The cloud of witnesses are, are surrounding us. They're motivating us. We look to them and we show, they show that God is faithful and that we can endure. But we run this race looking to our champion, Jesus Christ. And if anyone knew how to endure suffering and pain, surely it was our Lord Jesus Christ. So what makes us think that we will avoid suffering? This brings us to our third and final point of the morning. Reflect on Jesus' suffering because Jesus is the ultimate example of endurance. Look what he says next in verse 2. He says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he did what? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you were to put Hebrews inside a compressor machine, and if you were to condense it down to one verse, I think that this is the sentence that you'd get. We live our lives looking to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. When he says he's the founder of our faith, that means he is the source, he's the eternal source of our salvation in Christ. When he calls him the perfecter, it means that through his perfect life, through his perfect obedience, Jesus Christ earned the right to be our representative before God in heaven. We are perfect in God's sight because of what Jesus accomplished for us through his perfect life and obedience, even obedience to the point of a horrible death on a cross. Then it says something interesting. It says that Jesus had strength to endure the cross. He says that who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So he had, he had strength to endure this struggle, this suffering and pain because of the joy that was set before him. So I read this text and I'm like, what was the joy set before him? The joy that was set before him was this. That it was his right to sit at the right hand of the Father. It was the reward of being exalted as our Savior and Lord. And then it says that he was seated. Or it says he, was despi- he despised the shame. What this means is he thought nothing of the shame. He thought it of little to no account when matched up to the reward that he was going to experience. The shame and the cross was nothing compared to the reward that he was running hard after. So his suffering, the suffering of Jesus Christ, shows us as believers how to suffer. The cross of Christ was sovereignly ordained by God for him to suffer. In the same way, our sufferings are sovereignly ordained by God for us to go through and live through and suffer for our own good. So in this sense, Christ becomes our model of suffering. And the author fleshes this idea out in the next few verses. The writer of Hebrews describes our sufferings as loving discipline, loving discipline of the Heavenly Father. Now this is a very controversial subject. I understand that it's controversial. I understand that many reject it. But I just challenge you just to look at what the text said says. Let's look at verse 3 in 12. So we're going to read on a little bit. Consider him, consider Christ 
who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. There it is right there. In the midst of suffering, you must reflect on all that Christ experienced. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. So in essence here, he's telling them, hey guys, you need to grow up. Your suffering's not so bad right now. You're not dying for your faith. He's trying to encourage them. Now skip down to verse 7. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. So the discipline and the struggles in life are, are coming from God. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You see, God is orchestrating our pain and suffering because he loves us. It's for your benefit. He disciplines and works difficult situations in and we're to meet those things with thankfulness and gratefulness. And it's hard to do unless you study this and read it and take God at his word because this is his word. This is what it's saying. And it's all given to you. All, everything that's bad in our life, everything that we buck up against, it's all given to you by the sovereign hand of a loving father that loves us and wants the best for us, his children who are in Christ. So when bad things happen, we cannot respond in anger, although that's the temptation. We cannot respond in anger. We can only be thankful for what he is giving us because it's all a work of grace. Now, I can't speak as a father. I'm not a father yet, but I can speak as a son. And I, when I look back on all that my father did for me when I was being dumb, that being the spankings and the groundings and the crazy stuff he did and the loss of privileges. I, I look back on that now. I hated it then. I hated it then. I hated him at times. But I, I look back at it and I'm, I love him. I'm so thankful for all the discipline that he worked in my life because I know that my earthly father loved me and he wanted me to be better. He wanted, he wanted me to be safe and he loved me. That is the image that we have here. And, and you fathers here, you understand. Your kids might not understand now, but you understand why you discipline them, why you uh, take away privileges, why you do certain things like this, because you love them and you want them to be safe. That's the image that we have in Hebrews 12. So the application is this. Reflect on his sacrifice for you and look to Jesus. This motivates and strengthens us. If you want to look at Jesus, though, here's the thing. Your face has to be in Scripture consistently. You've got you to sit down and study it because that's where God has revealed him to be. You've got to be in it. You've got to sit in front of the gospel. You've got to sit less time in front of the TV. You've got to sit in front of the gospel. So in conclusion this morning, my hope for you is that you would be sustained, that you'd be encouraged by the sustaining power of the blood of Christ, that though he underwent sufferings and difficulties, he persevered, he endured to win us salvation because he's our champion and we look to him, we lay aside our sin, we run recognizing that the proof of his word is true because we're surrounded by so many witnesses that prove him to be thankful. And now, if you grasp these truths... It will change your life. It will change the way you view your situations in life. And with this fast new year approaching, I just can't think of a better text to end the year out on and to begin the text because we don't know what the next year is going to bring. But we do know that God is faithful and that anything that does happen, it's it's all from his loving, 
fatherly hand. And we can have the power to endure through it because we love Christ. So will you take God at his word? Do you believe in the promise of his salvation? Will you hold on to the promise and endure no matter what? Or will you fall away when things get bad? Because here's the warning in Hebrews. Will you finish the race or not? Here's the warning of Hebrews. The proof of your salvation is not the card that you signed. The proof of your salvation is not the sinner's prayer that you said when you walked up the aisle when you were a kid. That's not the proof of salvation. The proof of salvation in Hebrews and all throughout Scripture is your perseverance. That's where the proof is. Will you love, you love Christ now? Will you love him to the day of your death? That is the proof of salvation in Hebrews and all of Scripture. So the question is this, will you still be faithful to Christ on your final day? That's the challenge. And I hope that you will because we're surrounded by so many who have done it and ultimately Jesus is worth it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you.